Now just turn with me for a few minutes to Psalm 40. Just want to read the first eight verses of the psalm. A few weeks ago, maybe as far back as five or six, we were speaking to the Young People's Fellowship and we were thinking about the, the power of a good testimony. And it's great to have a testimony tonight to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ. And as I've said before to the young people, the greatest knowledge in the world is the knowledge of God and the true knowledge of oneself. But let's hear the word of God as the psalmist recounted it, Psalm 40, and we'll just read verses 1 through to 8. Psalm 40, verses 1 to 8. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious, infallible word. We do bid you warmly welcome this evening. And for those who are visiting with us, really, really good to have you. And we pray the Lord will meet with us and bless us at this time. It is a delight as well to have the Reverend Greenfield with us. And he's going to come and minister to us in song. Thank you, Reverend Greenfield. Lord, you're with you tonight. Have the opportunity to come and to sing. Seen the time I could run up those stairs, but uh, they really need to get lift for me and I to get up here and then to play the accordion after it. But there you are. Why don't you just join in and sing uh, the chorus, a lovely old gospel hymn, and I'll sing maybe a couple of verses. And uh, it's a meeting in the air. I'm sure you remember that uh, from days gone by. There's going to be a meeting in the air. The sweet, sweet by and by. That's who you sing. There's going to be a meeting in the air, in the sweet, sweet by and by. I'm going to meet you, I'll meet you over there, in that home beyond the sky. 
such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear, will be glorious, I do declare. For God's own Son will be in that meeting. You have heard of little Moses and the bulrush, and you've heard of fearless David and the slain. You have heard the story told of dreaming Joseph, and of Jonah and the whale you often sing. There are many, many others in the Bible. I should like to meet them all I do declare. By and by the Lord will let me meet them at that meeting in the air. Sing the chorus. For there's going to be a meeting in the air in the sweet, sweet by and by. I'm going to meet you, I'll meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear, will be glorious, I do declare. For God's own Son will be the leading one in that meeting in the air. Many things will be missing at that meeting, for the mourner's bench will have no place at all. There will never be a sermon preached to sinners, for the sinner has refused to hear the call. There will be no weeping over wayward loved ones. There will be no lonely nights of pleading prayer. All our burdens and our anguish will be lifted at that meeting in the air. There's going to be a meeting in the air in the street by and by I'm gonna meet you I'll meet you over there in that home beyond the sky such singing you will hear never heard by mortal ear will be glorious I do declare for God's own son will be the leading one in that meeting in the air. That's the same gospel hymn. And uh, it was a children's meeting I could say to you now, can anybody tell me what day this is? Somebody would say it's 27. Somebody might say it's Sunday. Somebody might say it's the Lord's Day. But of course, it's Mothering Sunday, it's Mother's Day, and uh, it's like a wee fella, you know, there's a, a friend I heard about, he was taking a children's day service, and they asked the boys and girls, he says, now boys and girls, who loves you? And a wee fella says, Uncle Hugo, and uh, <laughs> I think he just, <laughs> just missed out somewhere there, but uh, this is a hymn I recorded a wee while back, and I uh, haven't sung it for a wee while, so I'll try and sing it. When I was just a little child, how well I recollect 
How I would grieve my mother by my folly and neglect. But now that she's in heaven, how I miss her tender care. Oh, tell my darling mother, I'll be there. Tell mother, I'll be there in answer to her prayer. Oh, tell my darling mother, I'll be there. Tell mother, I'll be there. Heaven's joys with her to share. Oh, tell my darling mother, I'll be there. When I was often wayward, she was always kind and good. So patient, gentle, loving, when I acted rough and rude. My childhood griefs and joys She would gladly with me share So tell my darling mother I'll be there Tell mother I'll be there In answer to her prayer Oh tell my darling mother I'll be there Tell mother I'll be there Heaven's joys with her to share Oh tell me darling mother I'll be there One day message came to me It bade me quickly come if I would see my mother Ere the Savior took her home I promised her before she died For heaven I'd prepare So tell my darling mother I'll be there Tell mother I'll be there in answer to her prayer Oh, tell me, darling mother I'll be there Tell... And as I've said, we're especially delighted to have our brother James McClelland with us He was to be with us many, many months ago Just before COVID came, he was due to come And then it had to be postponed uh, But we are delighted that he has agreed to uh, the meeting and we appreciate him and June travelling all the way uh, from Limavati uh, this evening. We're going to ask him now to come and minister to us. Thank you. Thank you very much and good evening. Now, I think I'll turn you first of all to God's Word. Uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just scanning around to see if I know anybody. And I don't think I do know very many. But that's all right. 
That doesn't matter. I can't even find Hebrews. I was telling Wilfie Crawford that this is one of, going to be one of the great disappointments of his life, having me here tonight to speak. Because, uh, well, first of all, because I'm no good at it. And secondly, because what I'm going to say to you, I've done twice before and made a mess of it each time. And I've no reason to believe that I'll make it any better tonight. But I'm going to press on anyway, because that's what the stupid people like me do. Uh, incidentally, I'm from Limavady. My name is the Reverend James McClelland, and I do a program on Sunday evenings at five o'clock. It's a, I, I also hate interruptions. <laughs> People should learn when they're, when they're beat to keep quiet. Just, you know, there's a great verse in the Bible, Lord, put a guard to my lips that I sin not with my tongue. Just, so uh, the program is on Friday afternoons or Friday evening, Friday afternoons at five past five, and uh, it's on channel 720 on Freeview. And uh, some people say it's quite good. I don't have a great estimate of myself, but I've been doing it for about 35 years and I've got away with it. And nobody has caught on yet. And nobody in the BBC has said to me, how long are you here? That long? It's time you were gone. Uh, that day will come, I'm absolutely sure and certain, but I'm prepared for it. But I have to say, in all that time, although the BBC gets lambasted, and probably rightly so for many a thing, I have to say this, that in all the years I've done that program since 1976, never once, never once has any boss on the BBC said to me, don't say that, don't play that, play this instead. They give me an absolutely free hand. And I think it's a wonderful thing that the BBC gives me an hour on air every Sunday to say and do as I please. I think that's remarkable. I think it's miraculous even that I get away with it. But anyway, that's, that's the, the, the details and the, the advertising out of the way. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. This is probably my favorite chapter of the Bible. And I'm going to read the first few verses uh, at the beginning. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That does away with evolution, doesn't it? Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it he being dead yet speaketh. Uh, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death 
and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, if we go to, and you needn't do this, I'll just do it from memory. If you go to Ephesians 2, verse 8, we read, For by grace are you saved through faith. So the Christian life is a life of faith. We come by faith. We receive by faith. We walk by faith. And I came into that experience on the 4th of May, 1960, in Murphy's Loft, just not very far from here. The Carried of Young People's Fellowship was formed out of a young people's fellowship that ran for a short time in Carried of Presbyterian Church. And it ran and was formed after the Jack Schuler Crusade in the King's Hall of 1955, I think, Could have been 56, but I think it was 55, and a young people's fellowship was started. Uh, My brother tells me that he was sort of inveigled into running it and looking after it because he was good at organizing, and he was. So the fellowship ran for a while in the Presbyterian Church, and they had about 40 young people every Saturday night. And then something happened, which I needn't go into. It's, it's uh, in, ultimately inconsequential. But anyway, the numbers dropped away to about four or five because of this intervention. It was an intervention by the then minister who did something which wasn't very wise. But anyway, I have nothing against the man. I never had. So they had to look for somewhere else and they heard about Murphy's Loft. And they went and asked Mr. Murphy, Mr. Sidney Murphy, who is a gracious, kind, very tall man. And uh, he said, yes, go ahead. And so the Young People's Fellowship moved to Murphy's Loft. And it went there for a couple of years. And then out of the blue, uh, Mr. Murphy said one night to his son, Brian, I think it might not be a bad idea if you young people had a mission in the hall, in the loft, and got Ian Paisley to come and preach to you. And uh, they jumped at the idea. And so the mission was organized. It began, I think, on the... It began, I think, on the 1st of May, Sunday the 1st of May, 1960. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, Sunday the 1st of May, 1960. And uh, my brother, of course, was very much involved in it, as were a lot of other young people, about 40 of them. And on the first Wednesday of the mission, uh, I had decided to go or I had agreed to go. I took with me my friend Harry Agnew, who I sat beside in school and who I was in the Life Boys with 
and the BB with and the B specials with. Don't spread that about too much. And uh, in the woodwork class in Seinfeld Tech, I was with him. We were sort of like brothers. We were three months apart. He was three months older than me. And we became, we were very good friends. He was much more clever than I was. Very good at maths and that sort of thing. So he helped me a bit. Anyway, we went to the mission on the Wednesday night. Uh, it was packed. Uh, although it's not difficult to pack Murphy's Loft, but anyway, it was packed, uh, which is always better to see than half empty. Uh, so the mission was held. Uh, I don't remember much about the meeting or the message. Uh, I remember there was an old dear that gave her testimony. Uh, she did that regularly. And Mr. Paisley used to always say, we want to hear your testimony we don't want to hear who you married or who you're going to marry or who you wished you hadn't married. We want to hear how you came to know the Lord. So this old dear, she was, she, she was verbose. She, had, she could talk for Ireland, but uh, she talked quite a bit and gave her testimony. And even after I was saved and was back at the mission, she had a few more goes at it. And she was equally verbose and equally loquacious on those occasions as well. But she was a dear old soul. And uh, I think maybe she was from across the border. I think she had a southern accent. Uh, not that that makes her a bad person, not at all. She was a good lady. Anyway, uh, the mission was over, the meeting was over. Uh, my collar seems to have shrunk. And it's very tight on my neck. And it's very bad to have those veins clamped. It's not good for getting blood to the head. And I need all to my head that I can get. So anyway, the mission was over when we came to the door. Mr. Paisley was at the door shaking hands with the people, as he always did. And as I came out, he said to me, hello, you are a Christian. I said, no, I'm not. He said, you'd like to be one. I said, yes, I would. He said, well, come with me. And so the rest of the people, I don't know what happened to them or who shook their hands. Uh, I don't know if there's many in front of me or many behind me, but anyway, he led me over to the house where they had set aside a room as an inquiry room, and I brought Harry with me. And so we sat down, and Dr. Paisley explained how to come to the Saviour, how to become a Christian, and asked us to kneel down and say the sinner's prayer, as they call it nowadays. I don't know if it was called that in those days, but it, it amounted to something along the lines of, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need my sins forgiven. I believe that you died for me. I believe that your blood washes whiter than snow and pardons all sins. And I was given the verse, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And the verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I knelt in the room that night and said that prayer or prayed that prayer because I meant it. And I believe the Lord saved me that night. That's all I can say. I was a poor sinner, 
and I was a poor sinner and a wicked sinner. There was only one sin that I wasn't guilty of that I know. I never took the Lord's name in vain. I don't know why that should be, unless it was the Lord who kept his his hand on my tongue because I worked with boys in Belfast who were terrible cursers and swearers and wicked and blasphemers. I said many a bad word, many a wicked word, but I never took the Lord's name in vain. I don't understand that. I've often wondered about it, but I've never done that in my whole life. Not that a person who takes the Lord's name in vain can't be saved. Of course they can. But anyway, that's how I got saved that night and went on in the Young People's Fellowship. The Young People's Fellowship was a a great organization. It really was very good for us young people. Very, very good. It's there that we learn to say a few words. And I remember my first effort. And it wasn't much better than this one, I can tell you. And it's there we, we learn to pray as well. And we learn to pray out loud amongst other people and to hear the sound of our own voice. It was a great, a great place. It moves me emotionally when I think about it. I have to pardon, ask you to pardon my emotion, but since I've had heart trouble, uh, I have seven stents in, a bit of plumbing done, which keeps me going, done by a wonderful man called Dr. Peace. Great man. Anyway, I've got that plumbing done, and apparently people who have heart trouble are a bit more emotionally unstable. I don't want to, that sounds very dramatic. It's not as bad as that. But I do, I do tend to shed a tear very easily. And talking about these things very often moves me. Uh, and I just can't help that. And uh, I, I mentioned it in the hospital when I was in and the, to a young doctor, a lovely lassie who came to check up on me. And she says, don't worry. My dad had the same thing, and he's exactly the same. It goes with the territory. So I beg to be excused, but really I can't help it. It overcomes me. Anyway, I was mercifully looked after in the hospital, and uh, a couple of years later, I'm getting away from the uh, young people. I've told my wife, who very kindly came with me today. And it means a lot to me to have her company. I told her if I go off the rails, open your hymn book and start leafing through it and I'll know it's a sign to to change tack. Anyhow, the Young People's Fellowship was a great place and we learned all those things I've mentioned already. And I remember some very special meetings. I remember Pastor Fenton coming from Newton Breed Baptist Church. He was a great man. He was a great speaker and a very nice man. He was a youngish man. I suppose maybe when he came to us, he'd have been in his 40s. But he was a wonderful man and a wonderful speaker. And we always learned from him. 
And then I remember one very special night. And I was young at those, in those days. I was 18. That makes me 80 now, in case you'd see me there bother counting. I had my 80th birthday about two months ago. Anyway, I was 18 then, 18 or 19 when this happened in the fellowship. A lady came to speak to us. Her name was Mrs. Seth Sykes. She and her husband wrote that wonderful chorus, well, it's a hymn, actually. I don't know the verses. Uh, Mr. Greenfield might know. Uh, by the way, Mr. Greenfield sang that because I asked him to sing it. And didn't he do it well? Doesn't he do it so well? I played it my program two or three times. It's very well done and very good. Thank you, Freddie. Anyway, Mrs. Sykes came. And I can still see her sitting up on the left-hand side at the organ, the old pedal organ, which Curry Brennan one time told us, he was another pastor, told us should be took outside and daubed with paraffin and put in fire. That was his, that was his remedy for it. It was such a wheezy old organ. But anyway, Mrs. Sykes, excuse me, Mrs. Sykes, sat at the organ and sang that. And I was transfixed at 18 years of age. Transfixed. I wanted to keep on singing and go on and on. She was so good and so moving. That's one of the nights that I remember particularly great. The fellowship was a great place. I don't want to waste time talking about it too much just be wasting time. Uh, well, it mightn't be wasting time, but it'd be occupying time. We also uh, then, it taught us, uh, it taught us uh, witnessing and, and uh, evangelizing. We had, I think, three camping trips. Three, the first one to Donegal, there was, I think, eight of us. And that was two or three car loads. We just went in cars. And when we got to, uh, out into the country, we were all farming people. Farmers, sons or daughters. And we used to go to a farmhouse and tell them who we were and say, would you mind if we camped in your field overnight? We're farmers people. We know about closing gates and we'll make sure they close the gates and lot of the animals out. And we were never once refused. Never once. And so we camped overnight in fields, and it was weather like this, like this beautiful weather. I don't, I don't ever remember us getting a desperately wet day and getting soaked. Maybe that's the passage of time has made me forget those things, but I, do you ever remember? I never remember any bad times. We had wonderful weather, and we got lovely people and we eventually went right down the west of Ireland, down as far as Limerick, I think. And, uh, I remember a story from Limerick. Limerick wouldn't be the most loyal of towns in Ireland, and uh, it wouldn't be the most evangelistically uh, kindly either. But we were given out tracts, and uh, I was pretty bold. And it didn't matter who it was, we offered them the tracts. 
And the priest came down the street and I offered one to him. He said, what's this? And he began to examine and read it and I told him what it was. I said, well done, on you go, you're doing a great job. And uh, we carried on. Uh, right down in the south, where attitudes to evangelical Christianity in those days were much different. Uh, I don't know if they're still the same, but they were much different uh, to what they were up here. And uh, we went to the police station and asked them uh, for permission to give out tracts. And uh, they said, well, you're not breaking anything at all, so that's okay. But we, we were smart enough to do that. Smart enough to ask, although there are people who say it's easier to get forgiveness and permission, but we asked permission before we did it, and we were never refused and never turned away and never had a hard time that I remember. Maybe we did, but I don't remember them. Now, I better try and get to this, this apology for a sermon. I was talking about faith. And Hebrews 11 is probably my most favorite chapter of the Bible. I was told if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I accepted that. I believed that was an act of faith. But I wasn't the first. When you go home, read for yourself Hebrews chapter 11 and read it slowly and even read it audibly. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter of the Bible. Just a great chapter. And the bit I'm coming to to speak about is even better. It's probably one of the best verses in the Bible, I think. But then, as I often tell you on the program, what I know about anything, not an awful lot. But anyway, I'm going down to verse 38 of Hebrews chapter 11, which says, uh, if I could find it, these are the wrong glasses and I can't see what I'm doing, but we'll, we'll struggle through. Uh, I'm, I'm not even at the right chapter. That's how bad things are. Anyway, down towards the bottom of the chapter, verse 36, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And here's the words I want to leave with you. Of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. Now, there are many beautiful passages of Scripture, like John 20, like Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, like Psalm 46, God is our refuge, like Psalm 40, which the minister read tonight, like Psalm 90, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, like Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed and so on. And like John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world. And then there's this one, which says, of whom the, and of whom the world was not worthy. 
Uh, at the beginning of that portion, I'll just give this to you if you give me the time. Verse 32. After giving all the details from Abraham right down to the great faithful people, he then says, And what shall I more say? Or what more can I tell you? What more can I tell you? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and of the prophets, and so it goes on, and comes to of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. I have a good outline on it. I'll obviously make a mess of it, but I have a good outline on it. You can, if you remember nothing else, remember the outline and write it in your Bible. The first thing I want to say about these words is, what a testimony. What a wonderful thing to have said about you, about by God. Imagine God saying to human beings that the world wasn't worthy of you. Is that not astounding? I find that remarkable and astounding that God should say that. What a testimony for God to give people. This old world was not worthy of those people. They were such great people. It's a testimony to their faithfulness, a belief in God, trusting in him. And as you read through the Old Testament, and the stories in the Old Testament. Take, for example, Rahab the harlot. She wasn't at very many gospel meetings. She wasn't at very many Jack Schuler or Billy Graham crusades. But she knew enough to trust God. And she believed God and believed the word of God's servants, the spies. It's a testimony to holiness. These people were obedient to God. Abraham obeyed God and went out, not knowing whether he went, because God told him to go. How important that is and how good that is. It's a testimony to righteousness. These people were made righteous by faith. By trusting God, they became righteous and looked upon kindly by God and it's a testimony to godliness Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him but he walked with God he walked with God what a testimony for these people what a testimony what an example they are to us secondly I ought to say what a history of whom the world was not worthy. What a history. And you can go back down through Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, who looked for a city, he looked by faith. He looked because God told him to look. He just did what God told him to do. He offered up Isaac by faith. And when you think about what he did, and about taking Isaac up the mountain and raising the knife before he was stopped by the voice of God. What an act of faith that was. Implicitly trusting God. And he trusted God for children. 
He was well past age, and yet God told him that he and Sarah would have a child. And he believed God. Sarah was a bit shaky on it, but Abraham believed, and it all came out wonderfully in the end. And God kept his word. He believed God. Just believe God yourself. Believe God. Don't doubt him. It's easy to doubt. <laughs> Dear knows, I know it's easy to doubt. Many a bit of doubting I had, but I tell you a bit of doubting I didn't have. But eight years ago, I've been going back and forward to the clinic for checks. Mind you, when these medical people get hold of you, boys, they won't let you go. They bring you back for more tests and more blood. There must be carboys full of blood in Belfast City Hospital that I've given them over the years. I've had more blood taken than a vampire could do. Anyway, <clears throat> I've been going back and forward to the clinic. Uh, there had been some kind of uh, kidney trouble or kidney question anyway. It has never come to anything. I'm fine. But I went to this lovely doctor. She was a lovely woman. She was moved eventually to Marrowfelt, and they were, they, were, they were blessed in getting her. Uh, but the last time I went to see her, everything was, was okay. But she said to me, you know, uh, your uh, white blood cells are a bit down. We better we need to keep an eye on that. Oh, I said, well, okay, whatever. And the next day as I was driving home from somewhere, I got a phone call on the car, and the lady said, go you straight away to Aldenagelvin Hospital. Don't go into any shops. Don't talk to anybody. Don't speak to anybody. Go straight in. They have a bed for you and a ward for you. So I did what I was told and turned up at the ward, and uh, I felt grand. I mean, nothing wrong with me at all that I knew. But I was brought in, and I was very soon told, we're going to have to do a bone marrow check or test, whatever it is. If you ever have to have it, it's no big deal. It's nothing to worry about. Uh, I didn't know why I was getting it, but I had an idea that I had a connection with cancer. That's, that's really all I knew. And the lady came the next day, I think it was, a lovely lady came with a lovely assistant came and did the bone marrow test and she was very, very kind and very considerate. And she warned me, now this might hurt a wee bit here. It never did really. It was all done and no problem about it. And then I was sent to Belfast to the city and I arrived there and uh, in a short time, I was, uh, I was in the cancer ward, uh, which didn't mean an awful lot to me at the time, but I, I learned a lot about it in the time I was there. Uh, but I eventually got to meet the consultant. I'm just trying to find a verse here. Uh, I was sure I was... No, sir, I'm going to... It's 112 I want, not 12. Uh, 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 I beg your pardon. I told you I'd make a mess of this. I'm, I'm really working hard at it. 
Yes, yeah, Psalm 112, verse 7. So I went to meet the consultant and the, the registrar, who were two very, very nice men. And right away, within seconds, I had decided in my own heart, I can get on with these men. I like these men. I, I click with them. So very quickly, they told me that I had leukemia. I said, that's a, a blood cancer, isn't it? They said, yes, it is. And the verse that came to mind right away was Psalm 112, verse 7. It talks about the righteous man or the godly man. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. And I have to honestly say that I wasn't one bit worried or concerned about this diagnosis. I shed a few tears when I met up with the family and we talked about it. Obviously I did, and admittedly I did, and I don't want to hide or cover that. But I didn't have any fear of what this was going to do to me. I didn't have any fear of the treatment they would give me. I asked them, what are you going to do? And they said to me, uh, it'll be chemotherapy. Oh, which didn't have a very good name in those days. It probably still doesn't have a very good name, although it's not what it was. And I, by this time I was left with the register only. And I liked him very much. And I remember sitting with him and looking him in the eye and saying, if you were me, would you take this treatment? And he looked me back in the eye and he said, yes, I would. Well, I said, that's good enough for me. And so in a few days, the treatment started. I have to tell you, uh, chemotherapy is no fun. At least the kind of stuff I got is no fun. It's, it's kind of tough now. The doctor told me afterwards, my own doctor told me afterwards, he says, you know, that's poison to put into you. And he said, they take you right down to the very edge of death and then they bring you back up again. Well, I thought it wasn't so bad as long as they brought you back up again. But I was very, very ill, but never sick. He, the doctor said to me, you know, the, the, the days of people lying about in corridors, throwing up and sick and so on, those are gone. That doesn't happen anymore. And I really wasn't terribly sick. I was very downcast one night. I had to phone my wife. This is going to be difficult. And ask her to pray for me over the phone, which she did. And it helped me greatly. That was one really, really bad night. Uh, when I said, and I often say to people, I shouldn't have said this, but other people have told me, well, Elijah said it. I said, Lord, you know, I've had enough of this. Just take me home. I'm tired of it. I'm weary of it. I can't take any more. But I could, and I did, and I recovered and I've been back for umpteen checkups since then. And uh, the news I want to hear from him is 
and only a few words. They say to you, your bloods are good. Uh, they have a whole spectrum of tests they do on the blood. Wonder what the, what the blood can tell you. The blood can tell you many things in the body. It's amazing. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And they're learning more and more things, of course, but they can tell an awful lot. But they always said to me, your bloods are good. And that was all I wanted to hear. And I didn't have, well, I had, I had supplementary medicine for a few months. I don't know whether it helped or not, and I don't think they do either, but they eventually decided to stop giving it to me and just let me be. And uh, I haven't been back now because of the pandemic and stuff. I haven't been back now for a couple of years for a checkup, although I do have the blood taken once a year and sent off to them, and uh, I never hear a thing about it, which is good news. Somebody said, no news is good news, bad news is time enough. Well, I'm a firm believer in that axiom. So anyway, that was my uh, cancer thing. I have to say in the midst of that, uh, when, it, when it was first diagnosed and I was first told I was going to go chemotherapy, I got a beautiful letter from Wilfie's sister, Margaret, Margaret Reed. I thought you'd have come tonight to hear me, but... Uh, is she here? I don't see her. I don't see her. That looks like a daughter. That's not her. <laughs> That's like her daughter. I can't. There's a there's a, a face in front of me. I can't see. That's not her. No, I can't see her. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll see her after the meeting. But she sent me a most beautiful letter, a kind letter. And she recommended a book to me, a book by Charles Spurgeon. Uh, what's it called, June? I can't remember the name of it. That doesn't matter. It's a book of daily readings. And of course, being from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, everyone is perfect. What a great man he was. What a genius of a man Spurgeon was. He was just, read Spurgeon. He's absolutely brilliant and fantastic. You'd never be disappointed in Spurgeon. Anyway, she's recommended this book. And I told some friends about it. And a couple of days later, they arrived at the hospital from Limavady. They drove down and arrived at the hospital with the book. And one of them was a Presbyterian elder. And one of them was a Presbyterian member. And they sat with me. And one of them read the scriptures to me, and the other one prayed. Just as nice and fine a prayer as I have ever heard at a bedside. There's a man who knew how to pray. Big Jim, and he wasn't well himself, and he's still not well. But just as wonderful a prayer, great kindness those men showed to me. And, and that book is in use in our house to this day. In fact, we used it this morning. But that's just by the way, a big thank you to Margaret Crawford, or Margaret Reed as she is now, for that. That meant an awful lot to me. Lots of people sent me cards and letters, and lots and lots of them. But that one meant an awful lot, and it encouraged me and helped me. 
and blessed me. So thank you for that, Margaret, wherever you are, I'll see you after the meeting. So I said, what a testimony. It's nearly time to stop, isn't it? Far way beyond the time. What a testimony, what a history. I can say thirdly, what a victory. They were abused, tormented, mistreated in the world. Look at the stuff they went through. Abused on every hand and put in with lions and whipped and stoned and everything else. But what a victory they have today for they're in God's presence. What a transformation is theirs in heaven today. They have overcome all and are now victorious. And I suppose I could sum up by saying, after what a testimony and what a history and what a victory, what an eternity. Those people will be in God's presence for all eternity, praising him and rejoicing in his goodness and mercy and loving kindness and deliverance from sin. An eternity secure in God's everlasting world. I think I've said plenty. I think it's time to say amen. But thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Tune in to rejoice. You can always turn it off if you don't like it, you know. It's a great job that there's a button on the TV. Our button gets pressed often when the adverts come, which means it's very often pressed because it's endless ads. Every time I turn on the TV, it's playing ads, whatever, however it happens. It must mean either that I do something stupid or that there's an awful lot of ads on TV, and I think it's an awful lot of ads, and ads that you couldn't watch, ads for lame donkeys, ads for sick dogs, ads for cats, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I can't be doing with that because I didn't, I didn't cause it all anyway. And don't get me started about, about politicians out being photographed picking up litter. I'll not be out picking up any litter because I don't cause litter. I don't throw litter. I bring it home with me. Why should I be out picking up somebody else's litter? I'm not going to do it. Don't start me. <laughs> don't start me. So anyway, thank you very much for coming tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for putting up with... I told you I'd make a mess of it, and I did, didn't I? I made a right mess of it again. I think I'll have to consign this sermon to the bin or the, or the shredder if I could get one and get rid of it. Thank you very much indeed. God bless you. We'll close with prayer, if that's okay. Our gracious God and Father, we thank thee for thy mercies. And we thank thee for the privilege of relating thy mercies and thy goodness. We thank you, Lord, for how you have watched over us down through the years and kept us as the apple of your eye and blessed us. And in a wee way sometimes made us a blessing. Lord, we thank you for that, for all your loving kindness and all your watching care. 
we're so privileged and so blessed. And as we think of our privileges and blessings, we think of those in places like Ukraine who are going through so much misery and torture and deprivation and death. O oh God, our Father, have mercy upon them. Remember thy people there, for there's many of them. Bless them, encourage them, sustain them, uphold them, comfort them. And remember the people of Ukraine. Turn them to cry to thee and to lift their hearts to thee and to seek the God of heaven. And Lord, put an end to that war. And Lord, deal with the wicked men who are causing such mayhem and misery and death and deprivation because of greed. O oh God, our Father, intervene. Let there be peace, we pray of thee. We think also tonight, Lord, of the doctors and nurses who look after people in hospitals. We think of the sick. Help them, Lord, to lift their eyes to thee and to call upon thee for help and for mercy. And Lord, bless the doctors and the nurses. Bless them for their work. Reward them for their work. And those that know thee not, help them to recognize that thou art God and to call upon thee and to walk with thee. Bless us now, our Father, in parting. Take us our ways in safety. Take our thanks again for all thy mercies. Bless us and make us a blessing. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.